Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Back to Truck Up Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen here with Justin Martin. Justin, how are you doing today, sir? A little out of the weather, but I'll live. Yeah, there's always cough syrup, man. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta keep that recurring payment to the pharmaceutical companies going. Oh, well, today we're in trouble. We need a lawyer. Uh oh. Yeah, we need a lawyer. Trucking is in trouble. Truck drivers today may or may not exactly know what they're getting into when they get behind the wheel. There's accidents occurring. There's nuclear verdicts. There's overweight tickets. And the only time drivers really think about lawyers when they flip that Catskill ticket over and said, oh, I got a lawyer I can call if I get overweight ticket. And they find out, well, you're overweight to start with, so we ain't gonna, we can't help you there. Uh, we're going to bring in our friend, the armchair attorney, Matthew Leffler. Matt, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing as well as a father of newborn twins can do, which is <laughs> I was, absolutely fantastic. Thank you for having me. I was about to ask, have you uh, have you pulled your hair out yet with the little ones, or you know, are you are you making it? You know, did did you know that uh, sleep deprivation is a form of torture that's been outlawed by the Geneva Conventions? My twins was... don't know that. Uh, unfortunately, they are. Very eager to keep me awake most time, but my wife is a trooper. She has been absolutely phenomenal over the last uh, few months with these babies, and it's fun, right? Uh, you have to say that. You have to say it's fun because at some point it will end and it will get easier. It has to get easier. I'm anticipating <laughs> that that will happen at some point. Uh, my two and a half year old just hit a growth spurt and yet another sleep regression. So he's waking up in the middle of the night again, and it's just like every six months you forget just how horrendous it is. Oh man, I forgot that 2 a.m. even happened every day, but it does like, like clockwork. It just happens. And you're like, oh, I guess we're, we're here again. And we just keep going. We just keep going. And then even when you think you can like anticipate, you're like, you go to sleep thinking, okay, I'm going to have to get up at like 2 a.m. That's when they take it easy on you. And they like lull you into a sense of uh, security. You're like, okay, cool. We're over this. And then they hit you again the next day. It's whack-a-mole, man. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I have done a lot of things, and this is by far the most challenging experience that I've ever dealt with. But they, I love it. It's it's wonderful. Do they sleep in the same room or the same crib? Like, how does that work? They, they sleep twins? in the same room. They have different bassinets, and we haven't got them fully into their beds every night. So it's been bassinets for the most part, and it's uh, it's great. It's really good. I love it. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> you mentioned earlier before we started, this isn't your first rodeo with kids. So, you know, ho- hopefully with the other, the, the two older ones, like they can kind of pick up the slack. Yeah. Um, we have a 10 year old and a seven year old. So like, you know, I, I love my children. I have three boys, one daughter now, and we've all ca- kind of been around the trucking space for my entire career, my entire you know, life really. So it's great to be able to introduce them to some of these things. And when we had the babies, we got so many people from the industry sending us like onesies from all different companies across the, the country. And it's great. Like they're, they're, they're part of this community. They don't know it yet, but you can't opt out of the supply chain. Once you're here, you are here forever. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned earlier, your dad was a, um, a LTL driver with, um, was a yellow Yeah. So my father, um, he wasn't a driver. He was a mechanic. Uh, He graduated uh, from Northern Illinois University and became a night supervisor for the shop for Roadway back in Mm. 1976. And for everybody out there, if you have not talked to anybody who was running freight in before deregulation in 1980, do it now. Those stories are going to go away. Those stories are going to disappear in the next couple of decades. But that time was incredible to see that world before deregulation. Uh, And over time, he ended up running uh, a district for roadway in California, spent some time with Airborne. And then ultimately, he started his own business. 
and his company is called Outsource Fleet Services because the business outsourced fleet services. Uh, we were the biggest <laughs> provider of maintenance for a company called RPS, Roadway Package Systems. That became Caliber. That became FedEx Ground. For 20 years, we were the largest provider of maintenance for ground. And I had a chance. Uh, I practiced law for a little bit. And then I went to work with my father back in 2012. And I spent six years working with one of the best minds in maintenance you can imagine. So I, this business is my life. My, my grandfather hauled grain before he got polio, became a mechanic because he couldn't wow. walk anymore. So this is, this is the business that I, I've cut my teeth and I've loved it since I've been around. And man, it's getting more and more interesting every day. You're so right about the stories too. Cause when I was in the postal service, a lot of the guys I worked with were like former, you know, Hoffa guys cause we're up over the Northeast and like yeah, the, sto- the stories that they would tell you, you're just like, first of all, how are you guys alive? And- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and the other ones are just like somebody needs to put like I I wouldn't want to smuggle a microphone in there, but now that I'm now that I've left there, uh, I've been like in contact with some of them to try and get their stories on on record and stuff because you're right, it's it's just absolutely incredible that the state of the industry, um, so many new guys coming in that either are first or second generation immigrants, so they don't have the um, family history in America of of the trucking industry of what it was before. So they they just completely ignorant. They have no idea. You know, they they think that trucking is what it is today, and they don't realize. You know, not even twenty years ago, how, they think how of it as like a were. polished business that's profitable, publicly traded. But back in those days, yeah. Roadway, Yellow, Consolidated Freight, they owned transportation. They owned LTL, yeah. and these are companies that had one truck to maybe 10 trailers as their ratio and doing physical inventories because they didn't have GPS. Um, <laughs> losing trailers happened all the time. And it just, those stories are fascinating. My, my dad would tell me things about how dock workers would try to punish the mechanics by loading up a bunch of forklifts in a pup and it just disappears to Dallas. And like, hey, why are there 15 forklifts? I don't have no idea. I don't know who did it. Yeah, the, re- the retaliation stuff is, is hilarious because you're right. They, they Guys would like mess with each other in like ways that are completely unheard of today. Like there, there would be literally like lawsuits and, tr- and charges pressed. But back then it was just oh, like, ah, Frank, he's such a kidder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite story is one of my shop managers had been a vendor for Consolidated Freight. And so he was a union shop. And in the rules of the union, you couldn't have management touch equipment. You just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. It had to be done by workers. And the story went as he, he moved a dolly into the shop himself and got a, uh, they filed a grievance against grievance, him. Yep. And it's like, okay, well, who did it? And he got the, they said, who's the guy who gave you the grievance? And he's like, okay, you, Mr. Guy, uh, take all 50 of those dollies from here and move them over there. And then when you're done, come see me. And he moved them and then he never came and saw him. He said, okay, I'm going to write you up for not seeing me. And here's what I need you to do. Take those 50 dollies you just moved, put them back over there. <laughs> this is the nature of this business, man. It's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. No, there's, there's like a little hint of that. I was, I was a temp supervisor in the postal service for six months and uh, the day after Super Bowl uh, 20, 2020, I had to come in and we just we had like 70 call outs that night and we had like another 40 something routes to cover. And they're like, guess what, Justin, you're getting in the truck today. And I was like, I- I'm not even I'm wearing my like my nice office dress <laughs> shoes. And they're like, don't care. Get in the truck. And <laughs> so I'm walking out there. I, I, you know, I'm not in uniform. I'm in my office clothes. And like every other driver's looking at me like, Justin, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, hey, we got we got shit to cover. So it's got to go. Yep. And so it they're all taking they're, they're taking photos of me, like getting in the truck. I'm smiling, giving thumbs up like, yeah, finally grievance. It's going to get denied because, you know, it, if, if, a, if a supervisor gets in the truck and they had drivers to cover those routes, all those guys are getting paid. But yeah. we literally had nobody else to cover anything that day. So, Golly. yeah. 
it's a, it's a fun industry, isn't it? It's a great industry. Yeah, yeah. People people think that um, unionization is like going to solve everything, and there are absolutely problems like it can. But you're opening up a whole can of worms because there there is like an entire like subculture of like conniving backstabbing that like comes along with it and it's it's fun it's it's a lot of yeah. fun <laughs> well that's a good point to bring up like before deregulation 60 percent of drivers were unionized yeah. and today it's less than 10 percent. so it, it's been a very interesting change of the the essentially the fragmentation of this business and then now it, it, more consolidation we always see consolidation and we'll probably see more of that this year but it, it's just interesting to see where we are as relates to where we came from and then how the future looks is even more interesting at this point. There's a really good book um, by professor Thaddeus Russell called out of the jungle. It's a biography on Jimmy Hoffa. And I think any kind of aspiring labor activists in the country right now should read this book cover to cover and memorize everything that Hoffa did. Maybe not, you know, hook up not with the, the bribery mob. part. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not <laughs> or that the stuff. embezzling part. But most people don't realize that what, made Hoffa so successful was he understood very quickly that unions are a monopsony, not a monopoly. And that if he was going to get the best drivers or the best workers to go with him, he was going to have to compete against the unions. And I I think one of the biggest problems that unions have right now is that everything has to be under one umbrella. It's either our way or nothing at all. And as we see with with deregulation, things can, things can improve and, and, and get worse at the same time with competition. But without competition, things stagnate very quickly. And I, I think that's one of the biggest problems with unions right now is they, they literally have no competition. And to that same point, like if you don't want to have unions calling on your truck drivers, make a good company that pays drivers well and get some good home time or get some good equipment. Like you don't have to unionize if you have a good quality environment for your drivers. Like I look at someone like an OD, like these are companies that are passionate about having good driver experiences. And if you do that, that pressure of outside labor forces coming in is not going to be as, as persuasive, but it, it is, it is a real risk that everyone has to kind of keep in mind as we go down this path. Yeah. It takes, it takes very, very little to feel, to make drivers feel appreciated. Um, I would see male contractors like they would, there'd be guys that miss like four or five paychecks in a row. And they're like, Nope, I'm, I'm getting my money. I'm, I'm sticking with this company. I'm like, dude, one check bounces. I'm gone. Like the the loyalty, the loyalty that some of these drivers will feel for a company, as long as they feel like they're being taken care of, it's it's really hard to break. Absolutely. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's dive into some topics here. So you're, you, you go by armchair attorney on Twitter. How, how much grief do you get from your, a fellow attorneys for, 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 for that username. I think it's worked out really well. Um, so I, I started off the armchair attorney as a consulting firm. I wanted to do consulting work it's a great and everyone name. was like, uh, we want legal services. I'm like, Oh, all right. Well then I have to kick my wife out of the, the, the business. And it was just me now as a sole owner and that's a law firm. So armchair attorney is a, is a law firm that really specializes in employment and business to business contracts. What people hear me speak about the most are non-competition agreements, which is a flavor of post-employment restrictive covenant. Essentially, it's a contract that locks you into something after you leave the job. And so I'm, I'm pretty prolific on Twitter. LinkedIn is probably where people see me the most. And then I have other things. I do TikTok, not well. I do uh, Reddit, again, not well. But I try to make sure that I'm out there where the people are that want to know about different topics, whether it's FTC regulation or FMCSA regulations or anything that's kind of touching law and supply chain. Because these are two things you can't opt out of. Once you're in this country, these are what governs everything is how things get to you and what are the rules by which people have to operate to get those things to you. 
when I hear non-compete clauses, I, I typically think of like white collar, like coding jobs, you know, Silicon Valley type stuff. Uh, how prevalent are those in like, you know, the trucking industry? So 30% of people who sign non-competes are making under $13 an hour, just to oh, give wow. some level setting. Um, there's over one in five workers, 30 million Americans have signed non-competition agreements. 90% don't even negotiate them. They don't know how to negotiate them. In our industry, they are pervasive, like every industry, to be honest. But we see it very often in kind of outward-facing sales roles. So things like freight brokers or essentially senior management. Um, I have seen them for mechanics. I have seen them try to be pushed on drivers. These are absolutely non-enforceable to do that, but some people don't know. Uh, I'll give the example of Jimmy John's. So Jimmy John's had a non-competition agreement for every single one of their employees. And the non-competition agreement lasted for two years and you couldn't work at a competing business within three miles of a Jimmy John's facility. And they defined competing business as anybody who sells cold sandwiches that accounts for 10% or more of their revenue. This is absurd. This is... That is crazy because that, that that does that's not going to cover just you know Subway sandwiches. That's going to cover like you know a Publix grocery store, or any, any supermarket that has a deli. If they don't want you to do a job, they will stop you. Uh, essentially, how it works is once you sign the non-compete and you go off and do your thing, if they decide to make it difficult for you, you'll see a cease and desist letter. You may see a uh, a lawsuit, an injunction. Uh, we see a freight broker like TQL very prolific on that kind of thing. Hmm. But for Jimmy John's, once it got into the public uh, media attention, they backtracked pretty quickly after they got sued in New York and Illinois. And they're like, oh, we we didn't mean to do it. We just we just thought it was a good idea. But you see it with recruiters, you see it everywhere. It's everywhere. Okay, let's uh, let's dive a little deeper into this case with Jimmy John's. Who came up with that idea, and are they still employed there? <laughs> This is uh, this is lazy management who comes up with these ideas. Okay, the law is a tool that can be used to achieve goals that you have. So if you came to me and said, Matt, how can I re- improve my retention? I would say, well, how about you offer a better value prop for your employees? And you'd say, well, that sounds expensive. Mm-hmm. What can I legally do to stop them from leaving? Oh. Well, we can make them sign a non-competition agreement. The newest phase we see are these things called traps, these tra- these uh, training repayment plans. So if you go to a, like a dog grooming place at, at Petco, you may have to pay them back for learning the trade of grooming dogs. Uh, and they do it with truck drivers too. Exactly. I was just about to say the CDL mill system. You yes. get hired on with a mega carrier, they'll, they'll pay for your training. And then uh, if you don't stick around long enough for the you know, end of your, of your contract, you're on the hook, not just for the balance, but maybe the whole thing. Like I, I started with Schneider and with them, it was, uh, $4,000, I believe at the time. And what they would do is every, every paycheck, they would take $50. You paid every other week. They take $50 out of your check, uh, for 18 months. And then once you hit 18 months, you know, your balance was, was cleared. But if you quit before that, you, you owed whatever was left. And we had guys that like, they, they, they would, they would get into training make it through, get their CDL. And then their first you know, week on the road with the training engineer, you know, the, the other instructor in the, in the truck with you to get extra training, they'd flunk out of that. And then now they're on the hook for, you know, the whole, the whole thing. That's right. I mean, and the idea is how can we uh, incentivize is the word I'll use or coerce people to stay with what we do. And these are all techniques to 
get somebody to not leave. And if they do leave, you want to make it painful for them. So either you make them so they can't go work at their own, they can't start their own business, mm. or they can't go off and work for a competitor, or they have a massive debt they have to pay back to you because you had the privilege of training underneath them. And these are all just different types of ways that we go to a worker and say, hey, you are at will. If I don't want you working here and it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you're gone. You're gone. But after you leave, there are things that you have to do for me. And these things are non-competes or non-solicits, non-disparagements. Don't ever speak bad about me for the next forever. So this mm. is really interesting stuff. And workers are starting to understand, like, what are they actually agreeing to? And that's what this movement from the FTC has been about and why I'm so excited about where we see this the trend going in our industry. I also just want to say I'm very appreciative for Schneider for uh, employing me and giving me the opportunity to give it to Absolutely. I, I, I love Schneider. Great company, great business. Um, these are just, just like, these are just the things that we see in our industry. Uh, and there was a case, well, you know, about um, employee versus independent contractor. Schneider was a part of a couple of years ago where they had an independent contractor who was out driving and they told that contractor, you can do anything you want to do, but don't work for our competitors. And then ultimately, yeah. they, that driver sued and won and said, <laughs> no, no, I'm an employee. If you're going to tell me I can't work for a competitor, yeah, I'm an employee. Yes. This is the nature of this, this industry. The greatest innovation in transportation, in my mind, was the rise of the independent contractor. The ability to say, I'm going to outsource the risk and the maintenance and the debt of the truck to somebody else. And all I'm going to have you do, driver, is move things from place to place. And the people who first really pioneered that were the folks at FedEx Ground, um, RPS or whatever you yeah. call them. That oh. was their business model. To this day, anyone who comes to your house and delivers a package that says FedEx, they're not a FedEx employee. They are all contractors. And Amazon said, well, that looks cool. Yeah. Do you want to do what UPS does? No, 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 no. Let's, let's not do that one. Let's do the FedEx Ground one. So it, it's an interesting business, man. Well, it's kind of weird too because we're seeing you know, FedEx is kind of struggling right now. You know, the, the earnings are, are down and, you know, they uh, fired their largest contractor last year because he was kind of getting ready to uh, spill the tea, so to speak, on the company. And UPS is also struggling as well. Like they're, they're constantly fighting with the union. There's constant talks of, of walkouts and strikes. Um, I don't it's it's we're in, a, we're in a weird time right now with the supply chain. Well, the thing about like these these things are like it's like the frog in the pot and it's boiling mm. and it's like, okay, what's the problem that's going to happen? And we see like Cox automotive talks about it in terms of a thing called aces Daimler calls it case, but I'll go with case here, which is the connected autonomous shared and electric. The idea of automation in transportation is about reducing labor costs. We can say it's about safety or efficiency or whatever, but it, the, the biggest cost after fuel is labor. Yep. And if you can automate part of that piece, you can start saving money. And so all of these things that we see happening all across the supply chain, this these trends are forcing us to move in a certain direction. That connected piece, that's your forecasts in your Project 44, these companies that are aggregating data from a variety of data sources. But this autonomous stuff is is happening, and it's happening quicker than we all think. Yeah, the, the money that these companies are spending, people think that they're insane for, you know, quote unquote, wasting all this money. But I tell them, you don't understand. The first company that like, like cracks this, they can scale so quickly. It's going to just, it'll, it, it, like they, um, I think it's Benjamin Franklin, there's a quote from him, like, how do you go bankrupt? Uh, slowly, gra gradually, then suddenly. It's the yeah. same thing. With, it's going to be the same thing with automation. It's going to be gradual. And then in the blink of an eye, you're just going to have a, it's like, um, we were talking about trailer leasing earlier. 
Mm-hmm. They're just going to have a fleet of AI trucks where, you know, there's demand over in this part of the country. They press a button and 500 trucks are just sent there that day. Dude, I, I could not agree with you more. I look at Berkshire Hathaway and say, let me look at Berkshire and understand them as they relate to transportation. And so you have the pilot flying J. We talked about travel centers before we started recording. So they own one of the biggest travel centers out there. So every trucker is using them already. They own ExtraLease, the largest trailer leasing company in the United States. They own Marmon Group, who makes a ton of parts and things in the transportation space as well. They own BNSF. They own the rail yard. Um, they <laughs> own a lot of stuff. And what ends up happening, this future, we saw this earlier this year, it was last year, I think it was, where Kodiak Robotics got some funding from Pilot Flying J. And the question was, why would they do that? And the, the thought is, I believe... Human beings will take the trailer from the distribution center or the warehouse and they'll bring it to the travel center. The robot will then exchange it and take that unit, possibly with an extra lease trailer, who knows, part of a trailer pool maybe, bringing that to the next travel center, on and on and on. Everyone thinks about electrification as this really interesting thing. That's going to take time. Automation will happen, Mm. like you said, incredibly fast. And right now, the FMCSA has put out a supplemental advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. That's just a jargon saying, hey, we're going to make some rules on this around level four and level five automation, which is when a human being is not in the truck. Level four is there's a robotic, uh, there's someone remotely controlling the asset. And then level five is there is no human being involved with that process. And the technology is here now. It's not great, but it's here now. If the regulations allow it, it will move very fast because you will reduce the cost of labor significantly, especially in that middle mile. Yeah. And even even if we're restricting what autonomous vehicles can do here through legislation, there's nothing stopping them overseas. Um, mm. So some of the companies I've talked to, they'll test level one and two autonomy here in the, in the U.S. because it's basically the easiest one to do because of legislation. But all yeah. the data that they're collecting, they said, we can hit a button and the truck will be level five, no problem. It's just, exactly. we can't do it because of laws here. So what they're doing is they're they're testing everything here, level one and level two, but pi- compiling all the data, sending it overseas to China where they're testing level five out there. And it's just basically one big synergistic you know, chain back and forth. I, I also look at companies like Outrider who are making autonomous spotting trucks, right? So a truck that's at a private facility uh, not DOT regulated, you can probably get robots doing a lot of stuff. But we saw this in manufacturing with high-speed production and automation, yep. the manufacturing process. It was only a matter of time before they came knocking on the door of transportation. And it was going to always happen. Like, it's not not going to happen. It saves too much money. Yep. But the question will be, uh, who will do it? How fast will it happen? What regulations or qualifications must a remote operator have? But once it's here, it's not coming back. It is going to be full throttle. I think, yeah, I think it was, um, our our friend Gord had a quote from a book. I want to say it was, um, brave new world, but it was, it was a quote about, um, the San Francisco BART rail system and how they were going to like fully automate it. And they said that the, the, the kind of person you want behind the wheel of a system like that is exactly the kind of person not qualified for when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. So this like level two to level four needs to be tossed out the window. It either, it needs to be either all or nothing. Because as soon as you have somebody that is willing to put up with the monotony of sitting there babysitting a truck while it's doing everything for you, God forbid something happens, that person is not going to be able to like jump right up and, and, and take and take over in an emergency. 
Absolutely. I mean, you're going to have, I mean, whether it's, it's probably going to be one remote operator to one truck ratio to begin with, but I can imagine a world where you're running 15 or 30 trucks as a yeah, remote yeah. operator and hopping in just occasionally. No, and I, it'll, it'll be, I, so my, my, this is my, my armchair BS vision is it'll be like a hub and spoke operation where you get a fleet of autonomous vehicles going to a hub and then you'll have local drivers taking the freight from the hub. It'll be basically like LTL, yeah. but the, the, the autonomous vehicles are going to be the ones going from spoke to spoke and then it'll be local drivers because why bother spending all the money trying to automate that part when you know the, the bulk of the, of the volume is going to be going from spoke to spoke and you yeah. just you have somebody delivering at the end. Absolutely. And I think once we actually have the regulations in place, we will all be as an industry amazed by how fast they get deployed. Because really the only barrier in my mind is the regulation. And once regulation's in place, I think it moves really, really fast. And there'll be really interesting questions of liability. Is it products liability? Is it negligence liability? And we'll have a lot of really interesting conversations when that starts happening. Rooster, where do you see yourself in the middle of this uh, <laughs> this oncoming I, uh, on, I, I, trucker I, I, onslaught? <laughs> well, I'm actually going to make things worse. I'm. Uh, has everybody everybody forgot about Gatic or Gaddick? Uh, going Gattic? from oh yeah, oh they're, they're kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, going from DC yeah. to store. There goes your local jobs right there. I mean, there's already. <laughs> it's, it's it's like I just said. Let's take care of of of, of hub to hub first, or hub to hub or shipper to hub that sort of thing then you're going to get like the smaller players uh, not smaller players but smaller trucks like gatic some others kodiak and doing like doing the hub the hub the store so you it's slowly you know, like you know like matthew said you know a, a frog in a pot it's slowly going to happen that truck human truck drivers will probably get pushed out of the business and uh, you know, hundred years. You know what? What is trucking and logistics going to look like? You know, I mean, not far um, back. Not it's not too long ago we were horse and carriage guys. I mean, look yeah. at it. We went from the the Wright brothers' first flight to landing on the moon in like sixty years. Well, the thing is, like the, the way technology progresses is just fascinating. There was an interesting case with with Walgreens doing a micro fulfillment center for some of their prescription medications. And it's like they were fulfilling 35,000 prescriptions a day. They mm -hmm. saved the pharmacist 25% of their labor cost. It saved Walgreens a billion with a B dollars. So the money at stake is incredible. What I get excited about in this context is how does this impact mechanics? So technicians, you're not going to automate them, at least not right away. <laughs> not uh, you still have to have them doing physical inspections. And if truck drivers are not driving the truck, who does that pre and post trip inspection? It's going to be mechanics, likely mobile mechanics coming to the facility, inspecting the vehicles before they're used, and then taking a look when they return. And electrification and automation is about sensors. There's a whole bunch of new components. Now the yeah. motors are simpler from electric, like 20 components versus 2000, but yeah. it gives a really interesting place for the mechanics of the future. So I'm bullish on mobile technicians and I'm bullish on technicians generally because we don't have a robot to fix the robots yet. We have just the humans to fix the robots. I got a, a perfect example of what Matt's talking about with mobile mechanics. Uh, as people may or may not know, I used to be a, a BCO, business capacity owner for Landstar. 
And for a pretty long time, I've kind of based myself out in Grand Prairie, Texas, in between Dallas and Fort Worth, out of the Landstar's uh, uh, terminal there. And they had a mobile mechanic that was, you know, allowed to come on the property and do do work. Drivers did not go down the road or outside of town to get their 120-day inspections done or 90 days, you know, do all that. They just got the mobile mechanic. They got us contact information. Hey, I won't be at the terminal. So, so at you know, whatever time, uh, can you come uh, check my truck out? Fine. Great. The quality of work that mechanic did compared to a brick and mortar like TA loves was outstanding. He actually is willing to take the time to go through that truck and find all the problems, write it down, show it to you. Here's what you got to have done to be DOT compliant. But here's everything that's wrong with your truck that you need to deal with, or you're going to have a cascade failure. So it, it, it's great to have mobile mechanics work on your truck. And they're not the quote unquote shade tree mechanics. These are certified mechanics are out there. They got regulations all they have to follow. So, you know, I, I, I love that rooster. So my father's company, we ran 40 mobile service trucks, field technicians doing the things you've outlined, DOT inspections, BITs out in California. And the thing that we always looked at is I cannot save you on the cost of maintenance. It costs what yeah. it costs. The parts cost what they cost. The labor is what it is. But I can save you time on your own admin side, your unbillable miles. Let me come to you bring the shop to you, get you the inspections that you need. And then you're able to rock, rock and roll as opposed to dropping it off at a shop, getting someone to pick you up, coming back in a couple of days later, like mobile mechanics, the ones that I have worked with take enormous pride in the customers they get to serve. And because they're mobile technicians, they're, they're, they're creative. They're very skilled at what they do, especially on the diagnostic side. Yeah. My, my worry with that is, so a lot of those guys, one, the birth rate in the country is is falling. They're not having enough kids. The kids that are being born are being born to parents that are more white collar than blue collar. So fewer kids are going into that line of work. Plus, you know, a lot of schools have taken out like the you know, shop classes and mm-hmm. and all that stuff now. So if you're like mechanically inclined, the world is basically and you're like in your twenties. The world is your oyster right now. You you cannot go anywhere and not get high. Like if you can't get a job and you're a mechanic, there's something wrong with you. I mean, the, the days when I was running my shop, we were paying trailer technicians, you know, guys and gals working on 53 foot dry vans, swing doors, roll up doors, uh, FRPs from time to time. Um, Where's like 20, 25 bucks an hour. Uh, today, those same technicians are probably scratching at the door of 30, 35 bucks an hour. Easy. Good, no. good diesel techs. I've seen 48 to $55 an hour. W2, yeah. um, not, not flat rate. This is, you are paid this per hour. So yeah. there is an enormous need in our industry for more technicians, but it is a hard and brutal job. You find any tech who's been doing it for 30 years, look at their hands, look at the injuries yeah. they've received. It's, it's hard. I look forward to automation in an in, in extent uh, in terms of electrification side of things and the sensors, because now it's more inspection driven as opposed to really, really robust, big repairs. But it is not an easy business, and it it it, it needs to pay more generally because it is very hard to do. What makes up the cost of labor? I mean, when you go to the shop, the first thing you see is that big old sign that says "blank dollars per hour." The labor. Door rate. What's the door rate? The That's door. Right. Rate. Oh, 
and, yeah, what I, dude, and oh. it, it's it's went from I think the first time I went to the Ford dealership with my granddad to take the the old the old LTD to the shop, it was like forty five fifty dollars an hour, like in the eighties, and now it's mm-hmm. like what one fifty one eighty an hour. What makes up that floor rate? I mean, that's oh, dude, I can talk. Okay, I'll do the best I can. I demand. love this topic. I love this topic. <laughs> So the first thing you start out is how much I'm not going to talk about dealerships necessarily because dealerships are based on OEMs paying certain warranty claims. There is a lot of customer pay, but that's a little bit different. Uh, we can talk about them in, in a second, but in the independents, like the TAs, the independents like me, um, the first thing we think about is what is my technician getting paid, right? So if I'm paying a guy 30 bucks an hour, um, I probably want to be minimum at like 90 bucks an hour in terms of what I actually charge the customer. So a third of that overall cost unloaded cost is that 30 buck an hour mechanic loaded cost. That's like benefits and everything tossed into there. That can be for a 30 buck an hour mechanic, maybe 38 to $45 an hour for that mechanic with all of the bennies put in tie to that. But it's also about the efficiency. So if I have a technician who works for 10 hours a day, but only bills six hours, Oh, I got a problem. I need technicians that are efficient. So we, we want to make sure that we, we build in that wiggle room. So even if they're like hitting, let's say 70% productivity, I'm still making money as a shop. So we have that piece of it. And then the other parts of the overall, like cost of the labor, um, is, you know, the parts people that they get part of that taken care of through the parts markups, but there's a lot of admin that goes into a shop. So you have your, your building, your rent costs, your leasing costs. All of this is to say that you're hoping to break, let's say 10% profit on everything, maybe 15%. Some can do better, some do worse, but that's where you start getting these numbers. If you're working on like uh, trailers, the cost is going to be less typically because it's a less skilled mechanic that I can get for a better price. So maybe that trailer rate is 65, 75 bucks an hour. Um, I guess it just depends on the kind of assets, but the mobile mechanics are, are where I think you see the most value, even though the labor rates are still over a hundred bucks an hour on average. Now dealers, I've seen them at two fifty an hour. That's crazy. That's crazy. When I was a workers' compensation attorney, I was my billable time was I think one fifty an hour. Like so, you have mechanics that are billing higher rates than I was billing as a as a lawyer for in the workers' comp side. So, so my wife's an attorney too, and I joke with her that I I think that attorneys will be automated before truck drivers. I I totally understand <laughs> the why of all these companies like trying to automate trucks, but when it gets into the how. Uh, things start things start to break down. Um, but when we first started dating, she was doing doc review uh, for a big. Oh, that time. sucks. Poor yeah, woman. yeah. And um, so I would see what she would. I would like watch what she does, and she's just on her laptop, like you know, looking at documents and stuff. And I'm thinking, why haven't why hasn't anyone written like a piece of software to do this? Like you could easily just have them scan through a gazillion documents at once, look for keywords, have a person on the on the end of that verify everything, and then boom, it's done. Um, yeah, they, they do. They do because. You know the, the companies that she would be dealing with these with these lawsuits. It would be like hundreds of attorneys, not just one, not her, not just her, but like hundreds of attorneys at these law offices that would take hundreds of hours to review documents for all these cases. So you're you're looking at like millions and millions of dollars in billable hours when like a couple lines of code would just save them so much money. Is is there like is there is there legislation in place that like keeps that from happening, or is it just yeah. like kind of like with Elon taking over Twitter? Everyone's like too chicken shit to like be the first one to cut everything. So uh, law firms have employed a lot of artificial intelligence um, around document review specifically, for sure. The thing to keep in mind is doc review is what 
almost all junior attorneys do. That's the biggest amount of work that comes in. Cause when you do a, like a subpoena, you might get hundreds of thousands of documents that are mm-hmm. responsive. Then you have to go through and look for privilege and all these other you know yep. things that are important. And even if there is automation at some level, there will still be a human that reviews all of it to make sure that it, it meets those qualifications. But things like the automation chat GPT, like creating demand letters from scratch just by a prompt, like okay, we will yeah. see this profession get really eviscerated. When, when I was practicing uh, my first time around, um, I had clients that said, we won't let anyone under three years bill on our files. So they would force you to just not do that kind of work. They would have it outsourced to another company that does the doc review on your behalf. Hmm. So there's a lot of savings I expect we'll see in law over time. But again, we write the rules for ourselves. So if we don't want it, we won't have it. Yeah. Another good example. I use, so I, I see you wear glasses. I wear contacts. When's the last time you had an eye exam? I, I do it every year because I'm an okay. old man. I'm 38. Okay. I'm ancient. I'm, I'll, be, I'll be 40 this, this summer. So I talked to my, my last uh, optometrist I went to. He was complaining how a lot of his job is automated now. You put your chin on the thing and it puffs air into your eye and like it, bzz, 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 everything's done. So by the time you sit in the chair, they've already got lenses on you that are like 99% where you, where you need to be. And it's just, you know, A, B, is this better or is this worse? So he was kind of grumbling how the the pay is going down because the skill level required for that job. He's like, it's just, I'm, I'm literally just pressing the button and this tablet does everything for me. That's right. The, the world, the professions that exist today, many will change uh, drastically and some will disappear. I mean, there was a time when there was a job of just going out and looking for trailers and saying, okay, it's on the yard. That's a job. Um, there's technology that automates that now and everything will be in, in you know, will be impacted by automation and the jobs that aren't going to go anywhere that can't be automated are the skilled trades. You're not going to automate a plumber. You're, you're not going to yeah. automate an HVAC tech. You're not going to automate a diesel tech, at least not right away. Uh, maybe someday. Unless we all yet. have like $3,000 toilets in our houses that like fix themselves. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> which with the going right from plumbers these days might not be a bad deal. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. It's like these, these ebbs and flows. Like we talk about the auto- automation of trucking. Will that reduce truck driver jobs or not? I, I'm a, I, I honestly think it probably will ultimately. But it is the seventh most dangerous job in the country. It is very yeah. difficult. And the compensation of people receiving today versus what they did back in 1980 is, is a fraction of it. They made a lot more back in 1980 uh, in terms of like, take-home pay. So it's, it's interesting, man. It's a, hard, it's a hard place to be. Yeah, there's, 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 like a, there's, there's a schism happening right now where like everybody that uh, – how can I put this? Dry van is, is basically just going to go away. That, that, that I see being auto, either either through the forces of automation or just drivers being forced out of it altogether because mm-hmm. so many companies are instituting, you know, surveillance tech in the trucks and any truck driver that like values, you know, their autonomy is going to go someplace else. On the flip side of that, you have loggers, um, you know, the, the more like high, high, high skilled, high danger type jobs. Those are going to be the ones that like are struggling right now because they can't, they literally cannot get enough drivers like heavy haul, oversized weight. Um, it's just really, really hard to find qualified drivers right now because the kind of drivers going into the industry aren't getting the experience required to do that kind of work. So you, you can have some like take, take me for example, I drove for 15 years. I don't know anything about hauling oversized freight or heavy haul stuff. I did hazmat. I did mail. You know, I, 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 I know all that, that kind of stuff. But you put me in a, in a truck where I got to get like permits and like other kind of stuff. That's completely out of my purview. 
And none of these jobs are looking for new drivers to get into that stuff that they can train. They need drivers that have, you know, decades of experience because they're hurting right now. And they're going to have to make a shift. I mean, they're going to have to invest more in that training side of things. Ultimately, um, we as a country have done a very massive disservice to, to transportation generally. We've told people, if you turn a wrench, work at a dock or drive a truck, uh, you are not successful. You don't want to do that job. And it is the most common job in 30 or 40 states is driving yeah. a truck. This is the this yeah. is how everything moves. And we see that this is where an opportunity lies for so many people. And even if there is automation at some level, those local deliveries to your houses, that's not going to be done by a robot in the, in, in the, in the foreseeable future. Someday maybe, yeah. but not yet. And for yeah. the, the more specialized stuff, like car hauling, ugh, that's hard. That's scary. No, we had a friend of mine on the podcast last year uh, that drove for Carvana, and even even he was like, "It's uh, <laughs> it's not great." <laughs> a lot of hydraulic lines. A lot of you blow a hydraulic line in the middle of nowhere. You just got to hope and pray that that technician coming to your rescue has the fittings you need to get moving again. Yeah, or knows how to fix it. You know, we've, yeah. you, you have cases now where somebody shows up and either they don't have the part or they don't have the experience uh, to fix it, and that's something I, I worry about. I, I also think I worry in the same kind of vein is how do we teach drivers about, you know, typical preventative maintenance things? Like when we started having this idea of recycling exhaust gas, cooling it down, filtering it, putting it back in the motor to blow it up with DEF, like these are things that people weren't really aware of what was going to happen. So like in our traditional combustion engines, you blow out the hydrocarbons and you're done. But now they recycle that, recirculate that gas, cool it down, put it through a filter. And it's expensive if you don't do the regenerations you're supposed to do. And yeah. that's like the biggest cost for a lot of trucking companies now is unplanned maintenance from DEF. I was one of the first drivers in the post office that had a truck prior to my job there that had that ran on DEF. And so all the guys that were there were driving, you know, Max from the 90s and 80s that, yeah. you know, whatever, you, you run whatever you want in it. So we get a brand new fleet of internationals and they, you got to put def in there. So for the first, first of all, they're like, what the hell is this? Then uh, anytime they're driving down the road and the truck's trying to do a rolling regen, they're pressing the override button. Yeah. Like, it's, it's annoying. I'm like, do not press that. Don't it, do it, that. It, it, you, it needs to burn off everything. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to choke it and you're, nice new truck that you really, really like is going to be in a shop for six months because yeah, it's only going seven miles an hour now. Oh yeah. I've yeah. used D-rated. That's what happens when you don't yep. do the regeneration. Yeah. With, with God, within the first six months we had those trucks, like eight of them were immediately put out of the fleet because of um, issues like that. Cause guys were just pressing the button. They're like, oh, it does a thing. I don't like it. So I'm pressing the button that stops it. And oh, I'm yeah. like, no, it has to do that, man. I had a, <laughs> I used to lease spotting trucks and I, I leased out to a, a customer of mine, uh, a brand new Tyco, great truck, terminal truck. It had DEF and all that. He's like, man, this truck just runs like garbage and it smells awful. Like, okay. Let's send a technician out. We plug in the computer. Hey, you overrode the regen 25 times. You think that might have been the thing? But what's a regen? Oh, I see. I see. I get it. I get so it. The, the first truck I had, with it was a 20, 2013 Freightliner uh, Coronado. Great truck, man. I, I still miss it to this day. And the first time it did a park, we were parked in God, I was Arizona or Texas somewhere. And it did a regen overnight while me and my co-driver were sleeping. And it about threw us out of the cab. Because it just—if you've never been in a truck, so when, when you're when you're idling a truck, you you, know, you you pop the air brakes, you, you hit the high idle, and it, the engine will idle at a thousand RPMs and keep you either nice and toasty or nice and cool in the truck while the air conditioning is running. But if you have a, a truck that runs on diesel exhaust fluid, every once in a while it has to burn off all the excess carbon that builds up in there. And when it when it kicks into regen, 
the whole th- it starts slow. It's like a little rumble. So it's a nice little shake. So you think, okay, this is kind of nice. And then it gets louder and louder. And then you realize, okay, everyone that's parked around me is going to get pissed off because I'm waking them up in their sleep. And it's just like, it's rumbling like crazy, shaking you out of your, out of your bed. And that goes on for like 10, 15 minutes. And there were, there were some nights where I guess the sensor was failing because it would, it would do a regen for like 20 minutes and then stop. And then an hour later, it do it. we had one time where it, it did like seven, seven regens oh, overnight. And so we, when, we, when we finally brought it back to California, they, they looked inside and they're like, oh yeah. And they scraped a little piece off the sensor and, and it was fine. <laughs> yeah. So when, when like, when like Elon Musk puts out, you know, his um, electric vehicle, his electric semi, and he's bragging about a million mile warranty that he's going to have on these trucks. I was, first of all, I, I about fell out of my chair. I was like, that, that's going to, yeah. that's going to go away instantly. Yeah, because, the money that gets over a hundred thousand miles. Like, hey, I can yeah. we, we cut we cut it now. And I I was calling out public. I was like, give me one of those trucks in Philadelphia in three days. I will break half the centers on that thing. Easy, <laughs> easy. And that was and that was a problem we were having with all these new trucks that they were giving us. Is they were like they were nice. They pulled great power, but man, every little thing would break on them. Absolutely, and that's the thing. I mean, these electric trucks are far heavier than their yes, diesel yes. equivalent. Thousands and thousands of pounds heavier, and. Even if you're able to get those trucks working in a good environment, they don't do so well in the cold. So there's a nope. lot of technical barriers they have to overcome. And then the infrastructure doesn't exist in many parts of the country. So who's going to take a truck over the road that has no service network? Because that's yep. the other thing about Tesla. There's not a service network, not like Daimler or uh, like Navistar. Like they're, not, they're not the same thing. So I there's, think the big OEMs will, get, will catch up and they'll have alternatives to that. Yeah, they have to eventually. Rooster, do we even know like what the the gross weight on that cab is yet? Or are they still keeping uh, it under the wraps? There's not. Oh, they yeah, they're keeping it under wraps. Uh, <laughs> I did a like rough estimate, and it was like twenty six thousand pounds. I believe it was. That's what I heard too. It's a, it's over twenty five thousand pounds for that day cab for that truck. Yeah, just for just for a glorified day cab. I mean, like a, right. yeah, a day cab. a day cab with. An extended back with no bunk. I mean, and you sit in the middle. I want right? to know who designed yeah. this thing. Did they actually have truck experience? I mean, good. I would say no, because like, look at the boring company in Las Vegas. It's a tunnel with cars, as opposed to like any type of train system. It, which it, is like it's way a, more it's efficient. A, it's, a, it's a glorified roller coaster with Teslas. I mean, that's. <laughs> I I wish Dooner when he was out there for for Manifest would have actually rode in it just to take video of it but jesus i i, I kind of so when, with little dumb projects like that that elon does i kind of liken it to like how you know when, when we blast something off into space we're learning so much that like we didn't even think about hmm. um the, the hubble telescope is a really good example when we, when we first launched it into space the, the first images that we were getting back from hubble sucked they were blurry they're completely out of focus and they, they couldn't fix it it was too damn far away so they came up with an algorithm to like fix the fuzziness of the images and that actually led to like a huge breakthrough in breast cancer screening for women so when i kind of roll my eyes at like dumb little side projects that elon's constantly getting distracted by we're also learning like a ton of stuff you know from those little screw-ups so it's like sure he makes a dumb little tunnel but we're also learning of like you know it's like when Thomas Edison invented a light bulb. He's like, I didn't invent a light bulb. I, I learned 8,000 different ways on how not to invent one. That's a, that's a yeah. great point. I mean, I think you learn more through failure than you do from success. And Elon's done more in the world of electric electrification for vehicles than anybody ever anticipated. So I, I'm with yeah. you there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, this the next wave of powertrains kind of go out. We still have Nikola kind of 
bouncing around with their fusion or not fusion, their their hydrogen fuel cells and everything. It's, I'm curious. I, I just don't understand how they can keep the weight of the cab a secret because you know it's, it's going to have the 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 stamp there on the on the door hinge on there. All these all these like spy shots that people take of the semis when they're parked somewhere. Like the I'm like ones. I'm like if if I was there, the first thing I'm going to do is like open the door and then take a shot of the of the sticker in there because I you know they, by DOT they got to have the the weight. My and understanding is everyone of those there. drivers signed a non disclosure. I, I my understanding is they all had to sign a non disclosure saying they're not going to talk about anything yeah. they've experienced with that vehicle. So. It's very, it's a good hype machine at the very, at the very least. But but if I'm, if I'm like a mega fleet and I'm looking at this stuff and like, they're not, I, I get it. I totally get why they have to keep it kind of under wraps because everybody's like trying to get into this, this market right now. But like, if I got a truck that's like kicking ass and taking names, I want everyone bragging about it. Yeah. You know, well, it means I'm, it probably I'm, isn't kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> it's, it's getting, it's getting towed everywhere. It's what's happening. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's, here's a question. Uh, to find out how much weighs, can we FOIA the California Highway Patrol for the weigh station data? Mm. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I'll, I I can look <laughs> that up. That's a really interesting question. It, it's going to be no anything that is knowable will be known, and we'll we'll yes. we'll get this eventually. It, it, it that's a good question. I bet you could. I bet you could. But no, it, it, being being that it's a day cab is a really good point. And you kind of mentioned earlier, like the driver sits in the center of the cab. I uh, I uh, anytime I like want to like just ruin my day. I'll pick a fight with like Elon Musk fanboys on Twitter and tell them like how dumb an idea that is. Cause they, they see something like that and they're like, Ooh, it's cool. And future it's retro. innovative. No one's ever done yeah. it before. Well, they yeah. probably have truck, a good reason. There's for it. zero practicality. Yeah. And they're like, yo, truckers will love this. And I'm like, no, I'm a truck driver. Here's all my other truck driver followers on Twitter. We all hate it. And they just don't, I get it. Elon's their guy. You know, I, I totally, I'm happy, happy for you. If you, have not seen the, the the window. If you know anybody with a mid nineties GMC Chevrolet with a little pop out glass on the the super cab that the little the glorified smoker window, that's basically yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah. It pops open just enough for you to stick your arm out. It doesn't roll up, it doesn't roll out, it just pops out. And yeah, so so this 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 truck is perfect for like local, you know, hub to hub hub to hub kind of deliveries. So like all these drivers that are sitting idle at the ports, if they had electric trucks instead, like they would be, you know, killing it there. But that's not how the ports, first of all, you can't even get the damn thing through the gate at the port. You know, you, you got to like reach your arm out to get your paperwork and everything. The driver's in the middle of the cab. You can't do your paperwork. You get, you'd have to like park it, get out of the, get out of your seat, open up the, the door, the suicide door that's behind the cab. It's just, uh, they were so fixated on like making this thing look cool and different that they took almost zero consideration to the actual like practicality of the day-to-day operation. I'm curious if maybe this was just a way for them to say, Hey, look, we understand drivers aren't going to love this because we don't anticipate them being there for very long. It's going to be automated. Maybe that's the the scheme in the back. Uh, I don't know. My, so my, my first like kind of realization of like, Oh, Elon has some like faults was um, there's this amazing podcast series called reveal by outlets. And, Hmm. and they did a, a deep dive into like the, OSHA violations at some of the yes. Tesla factories. And they're like, they're no. a little higher than average. They are nowhere near as safe as their real, the big three competitors, and, not even and close. They had, they had quotes from like, um, former Tesla executives of like, Oh, Elon doesn't like the color yellow. Yeah. He, he wants so, gray. He wants the gray. And so, and so they, they, they took that and ran with it. And so like the interior of the factory is all red and gray. And I'm like, that, when I, when I'm, I was driving my car with my wife at the time, 
And I about crashed it when I heard that. Cause I was like, that, that is the dumbest thing. If you go inside to any kind of big factory with like machinery that can like move around and crush or kill you, it's painted like super high visibility. That's Everything's right. yellow, bright, you know, look out danger. But guys are, you know, guys and gals are getting run over by forklifts and robot arms smacking into them because everything's painted red and gray. And it kind of just all blurs together. And if, if you're, in crunch time because you're trying to get the new Tesla model out the door, you know, the accidents are going to happen. I, I, I read the same, I heard the same kind of stuff and it, it just goes to show um, he has a more fixation on the appearance than he does on the actual ap- application of, the, of what he's trying to do. And that's, that's totally fine, but you got to surround yourself with people that are agree- less agreeable enough to, to tell you like, no, Elon, there's a reason why we have <laughs> to like do this stuff. So like Steve Jobs was infamous for this kind of stuff. He, they call it his reality distortion field. And one of his first like, lessons of getting smacked in the face with this stuff was um he toured a factory of one of the first like factories in china that was like building their, their macintosh computers and he hated it he's like the aesthetics is ugly the robot arms are hideous we need to cover them with like beautiful white paint. he wanted like white paint glistening ceramics everywhere and they were like all right cool and so they did it and then all of a sudden like all the boards were out of spec like none of the robot arms because they're, you're dealing with such tight yeah. um uh, measurements on on these objects having one extra layer coat of paint like completely destroys you know the the the, the fitting on all your, all your parts and stuff and so you kind of like he got humbled really quickly and I, I i think elon's got too many things on his plate and he's surrounded by too many yes men to to really be humbled i, I was just floored when he tried to back out of the twitter deal like it was really interesting like a lot of people were like oh no, he, he can get out of it it's clear the bots were the the you know, misrepresentation was like, no, like he can't get out of it. And it was going to go to Delaware court. And then it was, yeah, I'll buy it for this exact same price. that I offered, it was fantastic. I, I, th- I think that through that deal was going to go through because, um, p- people don't understand what, what motivates him. He, he said interviews where he said like every, everything that motivates, like everything that I do with like my companies, my, everything I'm running is, does this get us one step closer to Mars? Oh, there you go. And once, once you understand that everything kind of, clicks into place. I'll go, okay, why would you buy Twitter? Like make your, you have a, 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 a spaceship company, a electric company, you're trying to build semis. What the hell are you trying to do with building, you know, social media network? And it's, it's just one step closer to getting us to Mars. Now, Might not make sense right now in the moment, but he's cooking something probably. I would like to sit down with, with Mr. Musk and try to understand how he intends to keep an atmosphere on Mars. So the challenge with Mars is it's, yes. it's it doesn't have the mass or a, a dynamo in the center to yep. maintain a magnetic field. So yep. you're all the any atmosphere you make is gonna get blown away. Like, what is the idea? Oh, we can keep it for ten thousand years. Maybe that's reasonable. The, I don't the, know. The first effort in terraforming that planet, you're gonna get a nice little atmosphere, and the first solar flare you get, you're gonna have the most beautiful aurora borealis you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> Just start crashing asteroids into it, and it'll it'll, it'll heat up the planet. It'll start freezing up, uh, freeing up some of that. Uh, frozen water. It'd be exciting. Oh man. I love that. I, I, I love that we share the same passion for space. Okay. Let's just favorite space object for me in our solar mm. system is I'll start off. It's, it's the dwarf planet series. So series is um, one quarter of the mass of the asteroid belt. It is a sphere. It has hydrostatic equilibrium and it looks like a planet, but it's not, it's not a planet. That's my favorite object. I love it. Uh, mine would probably be uh, Maki Maki. Just because oh, there you name. go. So a lot of these. So there was like all that hubbub about Pluto a few yes. years back, where it got downgraded to a dwarf planet status. Well, a lot of those dwarf planet objects that they've been discovering in the solar system are being spotted by an observatory in Hawaii. So they're given all like Hawaiian names. So it's like Haumea, Maki Maki, et cetera, et cetera. And the names are funny. My my kid is obsessed with them. He knows all the planets. He knows Pluto's not a planet. We have five official dwarf planets right now and 30 dwarf planet uh, contenders. 
That's awesome. That's yeah, yeah. No, the kid, the kid, the kids, and like next gen, next two generations are gonna have like you know a phone book of names that they're gonna have to memorize from these. Ganymede is bigger than than a Mercury, right? I mean, yeah, this is yeah. these this, these these things are fast. I love space. Like I would also say, um, you know. Jupiter's magnetosphere is also really impressive. Like that thing is almost as big as the sun. It's massive. This giant magnetosphere that has that planet. Jupiter is considered a failed star too, because it has more than twice the mass of all the other planets combined in the solar system. And if it was, I think they said 60 times heavier, it would have enough helium in there to spark or hydrogen to spark up a yeah, nuclear, fusion, nuclear fusion. What is so fascinating about space, like the, the stars that will live on are these red mm. dwarfs that are these planet, these, these stars will last for, trillions of years with the, the what they do so they're the other stars will all go away everything else will fall apart but these red dwarfs will still be there and there might be civilizations hovering around these tiny little stars uh, that's what i hope for in a, in a couple billion years and in black and black holes too so there's there's this, everybody knows a black hole sucks everything within inside of itself but they actually evaporate it's, it's the weird mm. thing so so mass goes in but radiation goes out so everyone knows that like not even light can escape a black hole. Yeah, the Hawking radiation. Absolutely. Hawking radiation. So the they've they've like calculated like the the rate of um, evaporation quote, quote unquote for a black hole, and it's like trillion to the power of quadrillion, 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 quadrillion. So even even after all the dead pla- uh, planets are like long dead and the 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 atomic bonds are falling apart, like it, the, the entire universe will just be dust. You'll still have black holes that are just like kind of farting out a little bit a little bit of radiation. Oh, the heat death of the universe. People used to think it was going to be, it would come back. Like it would expand and then contract. Yeah, the big and crunch, the big again. bang, yep. But, but now they're like, oh no, everything's just going to keep going. Like, the moment we live in our history right now is we can observe other galaxies, but there will be a time when we can't. There'll be yep. a time when you look out and you'll see nothing. And yeah. it, it's just a remarkable moment. I'm, I'm sure Rooster's like, what are these <laughs> idiots talking about space? Rooster's over there having an existential crisis. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I love it. I remember in, in third grade when we learned about the sun and about it going supernova, I'm having a panic attack when I get home because I'm telling my parents that, like, you know, the sun's going to explode. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be like, you know, bazillion, bazillion years from now. So don't worry about it. Yeah. So it's about a billion Every, years from now. It's, it's halfway every, through its life. It's about four and a half billion years old. It'll it'll die, but it'll die quietly. It won't it won't explode. It's too small. It'll, it'll contract into a little white dwarf. Um, Beetlejuice might go off pretty soon. That's less than 700 light years from us. And that's a big. Yeah. Yep. And I love easy space. one. It's an easy one to spot. So Orion, you know, the constellation Orion, Orion's belt, it's either the the, the one up at the top corner, or the, I think it's the bottom corner, right? So it's the red one. It's an easy one. It's an easy one to spot. Um, so shifting gears, we're talking existential crisis here. TikTok. You mentioned you were on TikTok yeah. earlier. I stumbled upon um, this other attorney, Lawyer Page. Are you familiar with her? No. She is phenomenal. Just like you, she's a, she's a, she deals with like employment law. But her videos, okay, Here's the secret sauce to her videos. It's basically her putting makeup on and just kind of mumbling through like her expertise and like answering Q and A's. I don't think you need to put makeup on, but I think that's the, the code that you need to crack on, on TikTok is just <laughs> put, put out a video, read the comments and then just do something, you know, either cut up a sandwich or, you know, whatever, that's a good little, idea. whatever little hobby you got. I just keep thinking TikTok's going to get banned. Uh, the, the talk is so... So, I don't know. I've I've been I've just put on things I've done other places on the TikTok just to make sure I keep that little thing open. But I don't know. I don't know this the platform well enough. Even even say the platform does the cats out of the bag because all the other platforms are already copying. That's right. YouTube does. Shorts, great example. YouTube Shorts, uh, 
Instagram has re- uh, reels. Because, um, like, same with Snapchat. As soon as Snapchat came around, all these companies copied it immediately. I have no idea how, how Snapchat is still around as a business because literally all the other companies have the same thing on their platforms. No, LinkedIn's and getting it, there, too. Slowly but and, and, and this And this happens every single time. It, so six months before TikTok was invented, everybody was kind of lamenting, like, oh, we've, we've reached peak social networking like this is this is kind of as far as it'll go and then boom something new happens and everyone like loses their minds i promise you in a year or two from now there's going to be yet another platform that comes along and everyone's going to go ah why didn't we think of that and then they copy they copy it that's what we got to be brainstorming on right now because what's Hmm. what's the next big thing um no tiktok absolutely terrifies the living daylights out of me um i always tell people like if you're if you think you're cynical on tiktok you're not cynical enough um the easiest way to realize the dangers of it is just look at how the restrictions are placed on it in the country of its origin versus the countries outside they're collecting of China. the data. That's right. They're, they're, they're collecting everyone's data. The users in China are a lot more protected um, through the, the laws and just the, the platform itself. You know, what's, what's shared to the users on there. Um, I have nieces and nephews and you, you have a 10 year old. So uh, yeah. I'm sure you're probably fighting with them all the time about using TikTok, but they'll, they'll just be on TikTok all day long unless you, you stop them. That's what the, we, we find with the YouTube streamers of video games. That's what my, my boys really like to watch other people play mm. video games. They'll play games too, but they really like to watch other people play. But for them, it's Fortnite, Minecraft, and occasionally Roblox. Those are the big paths at this point. I just went to a birthday party for a friend's nine-year-old son and we bought him like a Roblox gift card and we were like the, the coolest people there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I got, I'm in, I'm in. I'm like a nine-year-old's best friend now. Cause I got him. Roblox gift card. Well, I get Roblox. If I'm traveling for work, I can play with my kids when I'm, when I'm out and about. Like these are things like when my dad was traveling for his work, when he, he would go, he would used to drive from Chicago to Sacramento. That was his commute. And he would do that in three days, chewing coffee beans and being a ridiculous human being. But we, I talked to him once a day and that was all I saw. But now I can talk with my kids anytime I want to. And it's, it's wonderful that what tech has been able to do for us as we you know, navigate what it's like to be a parent in 2023. Yeah, no, it's, it's a scary time. We're, we're already fighting that with my son because like I said, he's two and a half. Uh, he'll be three in June. And so he has like his YouTube videos that he likes. And you, know, you see the thumbnails for the videos. Mm-hmm. But then there are like videos that like copy videos from other channels and do their own stuff with them. And so the thumbnails look very similar. So he thinks it's the same video. And I try to explain to him, like, nobody look at, look like that planet's different than that one. And, you know, and and not, not not that these videos are like sinister or anything. It's just, it's not the video that he wanted. He's getting tripped, tricked into thinking that it's the video he wants. And they don't even know what it's like to be bored anymore. I mean, that's a thing. I I knew what it was like to be bored. Uh, These kids, there are so many things that can distract you. And there are thousands of engineers behind the screen, making sure that you don't leave the screen. And yep. that's the thing I, I wrestle with all the time is what amount of screen time is, is useful for my kids. And we try to do like two hours a day, but it might be three. And then they have the VR headsets and that's another interesting. Camp I, I, I think with kids, really the only thing you can do is restrict it. But with adults, education is like the biggest eye opener. Cause for me, um, uh, I wish I could remember what podcast it was, but I, I was listening to a podcast years ago, probably Rogan. And they had a, um, psychology expert on and he was going through all the different ways that different platforms use different tricks to so they they, they use like slot machine mechanics yeah on absolutely. just about everything and once it's just like the matrix once you see it you see it everywhere and so i will see anytime i log into tiktok or twitter and stuff i'm like already anticipating i'm like i, I know as soon as i sign into that app i'll have zero notifications on my phone 
Well, when I when I open the app, the app will say, now I have three notifications. That's right. And like now that I know it's coming, I know it's you're still susceptible to this stuff. Nobody's immune to it, but you're at least sort of guarding yourself to it. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But it's, it's, so last night I uploaded a video onto our TikTok about a very close call with a Wyoming Highway Patrol uh, trooper. It was immediately taken down by TikTok. TikTok does not allow any kind of like violence or major accidents. Hmm. So I appealed and thank God I did because now it's up to one and a half million views. Wow. In, ju- in just 12 hours. And it's, it's a, it's a crazy video. It's, it's a true, it's a trooper. He's got a truck driver pulled over in the snowbank. And another truck comes along between his patrol car and the other truck, and nearly clips, nearly clips the uh, the trooper. So it's a great video. I'm, I'm really glad it's getting out there. But um, yeah, they they take down everything, and wow. it takes no time at all to to appeal it. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I need yeah. to learn more about how TikTok works, right? Like I make little things. I look around. I don't watch anything on TikTok or YouTube for that matter. I just make things, and then we see what happens. It's, it's an interesting. I'll send you the I'll send you the link to this yeah, lawyer dude, page lady. Her her content is phenomenal because it's, it's literally she she sues companies for like wrongful termination and yeah, not, and non and non compete clauses. It's um it, she she's basically you just putting on makeup. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I know what I have to do next. I can, I can get myself dolled up a little bit more. It'll work with the beard. I think the goatee will work out well. <laughs> um. So since since we're truck drivers and you're an attorney here, what what are what should uh, truckers be looking out for, for like, you know, legal protection? Like what's the, what's the best way a truck driver can like really CYA? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's, you don't get a lawyer until you have a problem. And I want people to think about attorneys like you think about your mechanics. It's all about preventative maintenance. So it is important for anybody who has their own business to meet with an attorney probably once every couple of years to evaluate certain things. Like the easy stuff to say is everyone should have a will. Everyone should have estate planning put in place. These are simple things that you don't think about because we don't want to think about immortality. In terms of like the the DOT stuff is, you know, you want to make sure you have a relationship so when something does happen, you get to the first of the the list for your attorney and say, hey, uh, I'd love to set up an account with you. I'd love to learn more about you. Almost every attorney will meet with you for free the first time. And then you can say, here's what I'm, I, I do. And maybe you could be helpful in these types of situations. So a, a ticket could be something you want to talk to them about. Um, what I did um, was an insurance defense attorney. So I represented trucking companies that were in catastrophic accidents. And uh, a lot of drivers have no idea how that works. And like, the worst day in their life is what I got involved with. And so it's important, I think, for drivers to understand, and they all do to an extent, of what happens when something catastrophic takes place, what they're supposed to do with their safety department and their dispatch and all of this. But the main thing is uh, try not to panic. Uh, everything that's happened has already happened. You can't reverse it. And just make sure that when you're in a very dangerous situation, you talk with your attorney as soon as you can. Uh, but these are the, the real kind of I'd say blocking and tackling of any business owners. You want to have a good relationship with an accountant, an attorney, and an estate planner. These are all things that are really important for anyone to be successful. And if we can help in that way, we want to make law more accessible to everybody. So those are the, I think, the biggest things I would I would look at. Um, there's other uh, things people talk about, like the C.H. Robinson case for liability of brokers, or this uh, AB5 in California, what's a driver, or what's an employee, what's a contractor. These are all interesting questions that we can certainly talk about. But what drivers need to know about lawyers is we're just like you. We're doing our jobs. Uh, we have we solve problems, and problems that most people have is they're not taking care of their estate. They're not making sure they're planning for when things go wrong, and they don't have that network when something really catastrophic happens to help support them. 
Rooster, have you ever needed the uh, services of an attorney? Uh, well, when I became owner operator, you know, I had basically used like LegalZoom, you know, to set up the LLC and mm, yeah. to go through all that, you know, and make sure that was done properly. But uh, thank God I've never had to go inside the courtroom except for that one time, you know, you get pulled for jury duty and you got to show up and, you know, you wave at the judge who lives like a mile and a half down the road and he sends you home. So, <laughs> yeah, the beauty of small town America. Yes, sir. Absolutely. But I went to, yeah, I went to jury duty in Philadelphia and it was a joke. I can't go on jury duty. They won't let lawyers uh, ever participate. Uh, they just don't. They, uh, both sides do not want us because what we, like, when you know you're looking much. for jurors, I want, well, it's not about <laughs> that. It's about how persuasive we are. So the, the challenge for having a jury, a juror that's a lawyer is I'll listen to other people make the case of what I'm supposed to do, but I'll be like, I know the answer. And I'll tell the other jurors, like, this is what we're supposed to do. So they don't like neither defense or plaintiffs want to have lawyers on the jury. Well, I wish that was always the case. My, my wife got called in for jury duty and we were living in Philly, but she still had a residence in New Jersey. So she gets notified and shows up and the guy was representing himself. Uh, it was a great, oh, it was actually, no. it was actually a really big case. Oh. It was, it was the year or two, it was the two years before marijuana was legalized in Jersey. And this guy had been caught growing like a couple acres of weed out in the middle of the woods in New Jersey and, uh, gets arrested and he's on trial. And, um, my wife's like, I'm an attorney. I literally work at this courthouse. Please dismiss me. And yeah. he's like, Nope, you're on, you're on. <laughs> and so she's like, Oh, you idiot. That's incredible. And the, his opening statements during the trial are, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I am guilty of all charges. And she's just like, this is a, the, the dumbest freaking thing ever. So yeah, he, um, uh, he, he was, he was found guilty like three, three days later. Um, I think he did like a year in jail and like two years probation. And now weed's legal in Jersey. So it go. was all just, it was all for nothing. It's interesting. There's, it there's a thing. I can tell a you a huge a, joke. A tip you can never, ever, 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 ever do if you're on jury duty is say the phrase jury nullification. This is a really interesting thing. Have you heard about it before? I'm a favorite. Oh, I love it. (laughs) The idea is... Depends on the the case. Yeah, that's fair. For for possession charges and stuff like that, I'm like, keep my mouth shut. I'm I'm like an agent of chaos. You get me inside there, I'm going to weasel my way up into the jury foreman and I'm just going (laughs) to tear the whole thing down from the inside. I told them that when I, when I was when I was in the post office and they were telling me to like run for union office and stuff. I was like, "Do not give me that ring of power, man! I will burn <laughs> this place to the ground." Oh, <laughs> one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. That's exactly. No, you, <laughs> it happens everywhere. You you work somewhere and you show that you're not like a total screw up, and they're like, "Yeah, you you, you read books, you talk good, you should you should like run for a shop steward and stuff." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." Give me no, that no. power. I just want. There's to too much. There's there's too much stupidity, and I ask too many questions, and I'll 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 either be like the next Hoffa and take over everything, or I'll be like you know hoisted by my own petards and, and tossed out like the first meeting. <laughs> oh, I, I will support you. I, I, I am I am behind you in this endeavor. Let me help you uh, achieve your goals. Justin for Union Boss swag shirts coming soon. <laughs> no, 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 no. I get I get too tempted because I, I would ask questions. I'm like, why do we do and not and to defend them a little bit. The post office has been around since the US was a country. You know, they they're obviously doing something right. Yeah. But they also don't understand that people our age and younger don't go to the post office anymore. Nobody wakes up and goes, yes, go to the post office today. It's always like, oh, geez, I, uh, I, what's I in the mail today? Go to the post office. Exactly. And I don't 
see it existing as it does today in like the next 10, 15, 20 years. There's just too much happening, too much changing. And the, the younger kids, it's like, it's like um, terrestrial radio or cable TV. It's not even the fact that kids aren't watching that stuff anymore. They literally do not know it exists. Yeah. The thing about the post office, I was like, they still do delivery to places that FedEx and UPS don't want to. Like they have to deliver mail to everybody. And that's what makes them so special. And I think the post office could go through some sort of a reformation. Part of the challenge is they have to take into account future benefit payments. So they always look like they're losing tons and tons of money. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not they, anymore. They, they got no. They got okay. rid of that like five, like four four years ago. Fantastic. But and yeah. so one one of the things they do, they, they drill into you very quickly from day one is like we are completely funded one hundred percent by postage. We don't we don't we're not funded by the federal government. Yep. Yes, we'll take the occasional bailout every once in a while, but it's because they're like a federal agency and they have they have a government backed monopoly on first class mail, and they can spend into a hole indefinitely. So those are like their two main superpowers <laughs> and they make a ton of money. I, I had a tweet the other day that went kind of viral on like the, the scale. So like people are like always impressed by like, you you take a, a, a letter for 50 cents and put it in a mailbox and then it can go anywhere in the country for 50 cents. And I'm like, well, yes, because that one letter goes into a letter tray with 600 other letters. And so that's, you know, a couple hundred dollars in posters right there. And then those trays get put on a container. That container has hundreds of trays. So now you're talking tens of thousands of letters, like a, a fully loaded tractor trailer end to end with first class mail is like millions of dollars in postage. Wow. For one trailer. That's, that's incredible. So yeah, this, the scale, this, once you get into the scale, the money, the, it's, it's, it's no, no problem at all. And that's why like companies like FedEx and, and UPS would love, they would love to deliver the mail because they, they can pump up some new machines, sort the letters, no problem. And, all these addresses that are too far out of the way, they deliver to those addresses already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they just charge for it. That's all. Yeah, that's right. I, 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 it'll be interesting to see how it goes. What do, are you, do you have any predictions for the post office over the next five years? It's, it's going to be tricky because just like everywhere else, the, it was such a good job for so long and still is that nobody left. When I told them I was leaving and, and coming to Freightways, they thought I was insane. And I thought I was, <laughs> yeah. too, but happy to, happy to be here. Um, nobody Nobody, once you, once you've made regular, there's the thing. If you're a regular employee, you never quit. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking guys that are there for 50, 60 plus years. Yeah. But if you're a, a flex or a casual, whatever, whatever you want to call them, there's like a constant churn. So until they fix that problem where you have like a, this, like two tier cast system where you have the regulars on top, making all the good money, great benefits. And then the constant churn of casuals underneath, um, they're going to be constantly short on workers and that experience too. Like, you get guys that come in, do the job for five years, become regular, and now they're locked in for the next 20, 30 years of their life. Mm-hmm. Instead, what happens is you got somebody that's been doing a job for 50 years, and they're constantly having somebody underneath them that's only got six months experience on the job. Oh, so that, good. and once that, once that person with 50 years retires, that person that's replacing them is only going to have like six months experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's, that's going to be a, a major problem. And I see that every, once I saw that at the post office, I kind of saw that everywhere. Mechanics truck drivers that's the kind of stuff like once that's gone it doesn't come back and we're seeing that everywhere with like infrastructure maintenance you know all these bridges that are like in disrepairs because the people that knew how to fix that stuff they retired 20 years ago this is the idea of deferred maintenance man that is every it's endemic with just not just with our you know infrastructure but our own personal lives and our own mental health we don't invest in that stuff that's why the the stories of the people from pre-deregulation are so fascinating because like these are 
men and women who did things that we wouldn't even imagine doing today. Yep. Yep. And yep. they survived and they thrived. And it's just those stories. Oh, someone's got to capture all of those things. Uh, that might be another podcast for you. Yeah, we're, I'll, I'll do a series of them. I'm, I'm still in contact with some of my old old coworkers. Um, some, so I live out in Jersey now, not not in Philly. So it's hard to like get some of them together. But I know one, I know at least one guy that lives out here. He's in Cape May, New Jersey. I got a um, bunch of guys with Roadway and Yellow and CF, and it's just I'll, I'll send them your way. They, they absolutely great conversations. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rich, do you got anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap this uh, up? Or, wow, I can't believe we've done an hour and fifteen. I'm happy. Yeah, fun. it's yeah. Well, <laughs> top flies. Well, we're, we're also not on. We're, and we're not on a truck. We're not on what the truck today too, so that helps too. Yeah, everybody go to the Freightways. It's a different like Freightways live event. Yeah, the it is a global supply chain week over at Freightways, and go check out all those stuff. Uh, I think we got about all the bases covered. Uh, Matt, are you going to Mid America Truck Show? No, I'm actually going to the American Trucking Association's Technology and Maintenance Council down in Orlando next week. So TMC oh. is the. That's my thing, man. I've been going, my father and I were going to that thing since 2012. I never missed one. I absolutely love going down to TMC, talking to the maintenance folks, talking to the technology players in that space. Uh, It's everything is maintenance driven. So supply chains exist to enable growth. Maintenance is what allows them to stay. And I just throw in like my own little flag here. Um, international road check, uh, 20% of trucks fail, right? It's, it's absurd (laughs) during the time that we know it's going to happen. They fail. And yeah. you yeah. think, who do you want to be on the road next to you? Do you want to be a 1997 chassis that doesn't have been, been maintained very well? Of course not. And if we start thinking about maintenance as great jobs, great safety, and great equipment, we are in a much better place. So I love going to TMC. I love talking about maintenance because as an industry, we are not that good at it. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point about it. they had ample warning. Um, we see this with professional athletes with like, guys that fail uh drug tests and stuff the drug test it's an iq test it's not a drug test they give you plenty of warning um what's the guy steve something he was like the the head of the uh olympic organization that like tests all the athletes and stuff and they would have to get like really cloak and dagger to like capture some of these athletes off guard because if they got warning that you know they're going to be tested on date xyz their agent or manager whatever would make sure that they were clean by the time that date came around um but then there was one i think it was one of the Williams sisters, Venus or Serena. And she like locked herself in her panic room because one of those guys, um, USADA showed up and they're like, here, be in this cup. And she's like, ah, I'm being robbed and locks herself in the, in her, in her room. And so she, it's like, everyone kind of knew like, okay, we, 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 we see what this is. Well, and the problems are always the same. It's brakes, lights, and tires. Like these are the, the things that you see on pre and post trip inspections. And the same thing happens with brake safety week. So I, I love talking about maintenance because that's what allows we, we all want drivers to get home in the same condition they leave. Same with everyone else on the highway. Yeah. No, better, better luck next time, I guess. Maybe give them like six months warning instead of a month. We always put it out there. We tell, Hey, break, break check coming, you know, check this out. And it, you're right. It takes no time at all to go out there and check, you know, better to get it fixed than uh, be stuck on the side of the road. Or just park your vehicles during the inspection period. Why not? Why not just do that? Might yeah. Be easier. Yeah. <laughs> Take a, take yeah, nice take the International Road Check 2023 is uh, fourth week in May this year. So everybody, uh, it will be upon us before we know it. So make sure you get your trucks ramped through and uh, have a very thorough trip inspection done on them. Make sure you maintenance up to date and uh, make sure you, and this is what I've been seeing a lot in these inspections, especially is like, 
inability of drivers to transmit their logs to the law enforcement. We've seen this happen a couple times and, you know, they, you got to have your, uh, malfunction card with your ELD. You got to have your, uh, law enforcement operator card to give them so they could pull it off. But, you know, we've seen here lately, you know, drivers getting ticketed and, you know, that's points to your license. If you, you know, you, you know, you can't transfer that material over to them. So be mindful of that as well. And there's so many things that they can nickel and dime you on now too. Oh yeah. I, I follow Brandon Weissman. He is a phenomenal attorney who's focused on compliance aspect of FMCSA stuff. And he's constantly talking about, Hey, here are the new things happening. You, you, you're expected to know it. And like, Oh really good. Good to know. Yeah. An early guest on our podcast, Mike Millard, uh, Found him on TikTok. Uh, he does really good deep dives into like the actual regulations and stuff on, he'll, he'll find a video on TikTok of someone and just saying, you know, oh, law XYZ says this and that. And he's like screenshot of the actual code and <laughs> what page it's on and what paragraph and what sentence. And he's like, actually it says blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Those are, those are always fun to watch. Cause I, he'll, he'll things. rip me apart. Like we're, we're friends. We're, we're, we're like chums on, on TikTok and he rips <laughs> me apart too. So <laughs> Yeah, you, you, need, you need to be humbled every once in a while. That's right. We all do. <laughs> I get humbled every day with twins, like every single day, every Dude. day. I'm honestly shocked you've been able to talk with us for an hour and 20. Your wife is a, is an absolute champion. She is. <laughs> she is the strength behind everything. She is the, the thing behind the curtains that allows me to do anything that I actually do. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, it's been such a blast talking with you. Um, where can people find you online? If, if one, if they just want to follow your antics, but also, yeah. you know, maybe they need legal advice. Yeah. If you want to, if you want legal advice, my website is armchairattorney.com. It's armchairs in a comfortable place to sit and attorney, which is what I am. Um, you'll find my website there. I'm on LinkedIn, Matthew Leffler. My website for that is uh, well, on LinkedIn is also armchair attorney. On Twitter, I'm Armchair Addy. Same with TikTok, Armchair Addy. And then uh, I think I'm on Reddit. It's Armchair Attorney. I don't know how I put the name together, but I, I comment on all sorts of different things. I love talking about post-employment restrictive covenants, non-competes, non-solicits, non-disparagements, non-disclosures. What did you sign and why did you sign it? That's what I'm curious about. So I appreciate having let me come here and talk about uh, a little bit of maintenance, a little bit of uh, law and a lot about space. <laughs> it's a big topic for sure. The biggest. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That being said, I'm James Rooster Bowen here with Justin Martin and the armchair attorney himself and dad, the twins, God help him, Matthew Leffler. And we will catch you guys down the road. 